You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From Shakespeare to Schwartz. From Fosse to Alvin Ailey. From Sondheim to Borellis. From McNally to Faye. It happened to the greats. It still happens every day. When lightning strikes. It's the moment you know. When lightning strikes. Where you're meant to go. You can stand and shout your Hi, this is Gerald Brunner, and you're listening to When Lightning Strikes, where we talk about the tingly mic drop moments that led you to becoming an artist. Brendan George wrote and starred in A Eulogy for Roman. This riveting, immersive show recently ran at 59 East 59 Theaters, directed by Peter Charlie, a eulogy for Roman, was a hit at Edinburgh Fringe Fest. Brendan is a New York City-based actor, writer, improviser, and singer. Welcome! Thank you so much, Gerald. It's a pleasure to be here. It's a joy to have you on the show. I loved this production, this performance. I loved it, how immersive it was, um, that we were all a part of its, dare I say it, its creation. Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah. You're, you're welcome to say that. I always say it's partially created by me, but audience generated as well, which was, which was a highlight for me. Yeah. So how did it all happen? How did this come together, this beautiful show? Can you take me to when it came into your life. Yeah, absolutely. So it actually dates back to the summer of 2020 because, or at that time, it was our first pandemic summer, if you will. <laughs> um, and hopefully the <laughs> one of only a few. Uh, but uh, at that point, you know, theaters were shuttered. The future of live performance was really uncertain. And a brilliant colleague of mine, Peter Charney, who co-created the piece, he reached out to me remotely and he said, hey, I've had this idea for a few years. He had some seedlings of ideas. He reached out to me and he said, I think it's a solo show. I think it's interactive, but I haven't written any of it. And I think you're the guy for it. <laughs> <laughs> which as a as a not working actor at that point that was the dream sort of call you get because it was more than just an invitation uh to work it was an invitation to create and it was an invitation to really dream up a whole world together 
And I have some experience writing and I do have in experience improvising and with solo shows. So this was also really squarely in a, a pocket of interest with me. And then Peter and I got to the drawing board and we first started to align our values and what we think we'd want to incorporate into this piece. And I think with the missive at that time that we wanted something fundamentally theatrical that needed to be live and it needed to be a shared communal experience among strangers that maybe leave as something more. Uh, with that goal in mind, that that's basically what we set out to create. So did he come to you with an idea of more of what it what it could be of you know the the storyline i mean what what was the the pitch or was there yeah you know that elevator pitch of this is what it's about <laughs> he approached me with two ideas one i'll maybe keep secret because of uh, the nature of the show but one i can share openly which is he had the idea of a funeral with a bucket list so that was one of the guiding principles we had. And then there, you know, if you experience the show, there's some information that gets revealed. He had an inkling of that as a separate thought. And we sort of combined those together. But this idea of a funeral with a bucket list was a really enticing premise because it immediately redefined the relationship between performance or performer and audience or observer. Suddenly it was, oh, maybe we can work together to create content or we can work together to create the, the plot necessary to fulfill our end destination. So everyone gets invested through that process. And part of the joy of the show and the excitement is the discovery of, of what's going to happen. So I don't want to give too much away for people who might see this show in the future, but what can you tell us? If somebody asked, what is a eulogy for Roman about? What would you say? I'd say for me, the show is about belief and okay. the power of belief. And it, this manifests in many, many ways through the show. Uh, and it, it is fundamental to theater itself. You know, the, the premise of theater when we enter a room on an imagined premise is that we have very real feelings, emotions, calls to action as a result of this fictional or heightened mode of storytelling. And this show really manifests that in a particular way but we uh you know it's it's very moving to me every time i get to do the show to see that the power of belief gets people who sometimes come to the show having no idea that it's interactive having no idea that it's remotely immersive and it's getting people out of their seat doing things they had no idea they were going to do it has people talking to each other it's so thrilling and that's just a testament to the power of belief yeah, and can we say that it starts with a funeral, right? Yep. And you're, yep. and and you are there to give the eulogy, uh -huh. and then things transpire <laughs> from there. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So if anyone feels completely lost with what actually this entails, is it is set up as a eulogy for a man that you have never met, but that is the protagonist's best friend, Roman. 
So Milo is hosting a eulogy for Roman. He's welcoming everybody into the service. And he is set out to introduce himself, Roman, and to honor his recently departed friend. But what he doesn't anticipate is that the ceremony is somewhat difficult to complete and that he actually wants to enlist the audience on a voluntary basis to to finish the ceremony. (laughs) That's a beautiful way to put it. And can you talk about the trajectory of the show? So here you wrote it, you're during the pandemic, and then what happened? Yeah, so the journey was was totally unruly and unpredictable in the most exciting and rewarding of ways. When Peter and I first sat down to write this, again, it's certainly we were starting remote. Our audiences were remote. We we were developing an interactive solo show over Zoom, which, as you can imagine, was a tall <laughs> order. So we didn't even know if this show would work when we actually got in front of people, when we would get if we would get that chance. And then, quite fortunately, uh, you, you know, luckily we worked our way back into theaters. We worked our way uh, back, even if it was masked, you know, we felt confident that we would get to do a version of the show. And it was about December of, let me get my timeline right, I guess it was December of 2021. So at this point, it's been a year and almost a half from when we first started talking about this show. The show's been written. We've done some virtual workshops. And I was talking with Peter about finally mounting it, finally finding a way to produce it. And Peter had had an experience years ago, actually, when he was in high school going to the Edinburgh Festival Fringe. And Edinburgh at that time had announced that they were going to proceed with their 75th year. It was going to be largely in person. They had done a a hybrid kind of virtual thing the year prior. And we thought, you know, this could be a really great opportunity for this type of show and also for us as creators to to get to introduce ourselves and and bring this very unusual theatrical piece to an audience that maybe would be really excited by it and lo and behold that's that's what transpired we ended up uh, going out that august so now this is august of 22 and the show unexpectedly for us was a big success we we went out there with no budget no pr team no marketing team it was just the two of us and an urn and (laughs) handing flyers you know and critics ended up coming critics ended up really championing the show which was extremely humbling and exciting and then we got an invitation basically a week after we landed back in the states feeling proud but that we had completed our mission we got this invitation from 59 theaters to be programmed into their season potentially and we jumped at the opportunity they're an amazing theater so we we were very flattered so you just had this extraordinary run at 59 east 59 theaters uh, tell me about that experience of and what the joy is of working with that incredible theater. Oh, very! I can't sing their praises high enough. They are so attentive and caring and responsible and supportive. They they really helped us see the vision of the show and as 
of us as artists. Um, and again, Peter and I were only working on this show the whole journey as two people. And suddenly we had this theater of, of full-time staff excited to help us see this through. So, you know, everything from the, our world building was very particular. So everything from what we were going to do pre-show, how the ushers were going to refer to the show as a ceremony or an event instead of a performance. You know, they were just game for everything. And uh, it, was, it was extremely fulfilling to get to merge this immersive, somewhat site-specific event with the resources and enthusiasm of a, an established off-Broadway theater. And we got everybody under the sun as a result, which was which is how this show thrives. I mean, the show is as rich and as textured as the diversity of the audience members who enter it. And we were thrilled to see that we had subscribers from 59 coming to see it and saying this was unlike anything they'd seen at the theater or that this was one of their favorite things that they'd seen at the theater. And in fact, I started to recognize some subscribers were coming back and were telling their friends to come because the show's different in, in different yes. ways every time. So I loved, you know, by the end of our, we ended up extending the run. And by the end of the run, I was like, you know, starting to recognize strangers, uh, formerly strangers, but now friends at this point who were coming in and were checking it out, bringing friends. And it was it was just so fantastic. And it was really an ideal space. How many seats? This, were, yeah, we were in their know? tiniest theater, so it's only 53 seats, which is perfect, actually, for what we wanted to do. And I want to read something Elizabeth Vincentelli sure. said in the New York Times. She wrote, the bravest thing about eulogy for Roman is its embrace of kindness resilience and community. How does that make you feel? What did she say? Oh gosh, that was, it's, it's touching. I mean, it gives me a little bit of goosebumps to be honest. It, it, it is so flattering when I feel like the show is really seen for what it is and what it, what it's attempting to do. And I think that's, that's what it gives me is it, just makes me feel very seen in in this show and what we're creating in that room so it was really exciting and what's so beautiful is here we are you know for years we were separate right and to come together i mean to see theater is you know an act of you know community building yeah and togetherness <laughs> sounds so hokey but it's true no it's but true this, but this is another step further yeah you know which is so incredible mm -hmm. yeah and i'll add too you know i think it is it can feel in this strange way a little defiant or or maybe radical to do generous but to to be earnest and to be sincere and to be endearing and honest and not be cynical or jaded you know i think and i think there's a place for that that tone and attitude of course look at the world we live in but i think again returning to the idea of this piece as a a piece about belief and hope and i think especially knowing where this piece was generated from at a time where we were feeling so low on hope so low on belief it, it only makes sense for me and it's 
it's so relieving, frankly, that people were willing to open their arms and embrace this show, even if it is endearing and hokey and earnest in its certain way. It's, you know, I'm, I'm glad that Every night it felt like a big warm hug between me and 53 strangers. It was like, we did this, we made it to the end, and we, we opened our hearts to each other. And that's just beautiful, you know? Yes, yes. And also, may I add, it's also about bravery and courage. <laughs> Your courage and how you enlist the audience, and also the audience's courage. Yes, yes. You know, they get up on stage and do these things with you. <laughs> yes. I was moved. I mean, I would cry, you know, weep regularly at shows, just moved by people being that level of brave, that people who you could tell were not coming into this space looking to say or do anything. And suddenly, some part of them was nudging them or overtook them and they felt safe enough and comfortable enough and brave enough to suddenly say that thing or do that thing. And every time they crossed that threshold, I just, it, it really, it, it moved me. It was, it was spiritual to witness in many ways. That's wonderful. So I'd love to know your lightning strikes moment when you knew you had to be an artist. Yes. Okay. So I think I've thought about this and I, there's a couple different lightning strikes, I suppose, in my life, <laughs> a little bit of a thunderstorm, but um, I think really to trace my earliest roots on this, when I was nine years old, I was in my first musical. I was a munchkin in The Wizard of Oz. And What's funny about that, it, I, you know, I, I don't remember it being a profound uh, acting <laughs> performance necessarily, but the sensation that I experienced simply being in the act of making theater, simply being with peers as well as with adults, creating something together as a team. Prior to that, the only group activities I had participated in were sports, where they're inherently, even when you're working with a the team, they're inherently competitive, and there's a lot of comparison. And I spent the majority of my childhood and adolescence feeling quite self-conscious and feeling isolated or, uh, you know, insecure in different ways. And it was just the experience on this first show, perhaps without even realizing, that I felt for the first time a sense of belonging and a sense of place and use and drive. And slowly but surely, Wizard of Oz became an orphan in Oliver, and it became, you know, and it unfolded. And I, this was all at a community theater very close to my house growing up in Connecticut. And uh, that became my home away from home. And I mean, quite literally sometimes, I mean, I was sleeping on couches and you know, they couldn't get rid of me over there. I ended up like joining the board. And I, I think that that was the, the munchkin was maybe the first lightning strike in what became a storm of my time, spending my whole childhood and, and high school years in this theater very close to my house. And it became so integral to who I was and what I believed in in life, what I wanted to do with life, that I even went to college and tried to <laughs> tried to take a break off, off of different advice. I was like, you know what, maybe I won't major in theater. I majored in environmental science. I went to Brown and I was just doing environmental science. 
And it took, I cracked after like three weeks. I couldn't last without it. And suddenly I was back, <laughs> I was performing, I did improv and acapella and I was doing student theater. And, and <laughs> at that point I said, you know, I'll get my degree in environmental science, fine. But as soon as I graduate, I'm going to New York and I, I won't be able to live a satisfied life without trying this fully. And uh, luckily I'm, I'm still doing it. I have no intention of stopping. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. That's wonderful. And here you are. I mean, you're continuing your education, right? You're yes. you're in the NYU grad acting program yes. as we speak. I am. Yes. Simultaneously, <laughs> I was, yeah, they, I was very thankful and grateful to get the opportunity to in the summer between my second and now this third and final year of the grad acting program to get to put up the show with 59, actually start rehearsals for my third year during the days. And then I, so I'd be there 10 to six, go uptown and do the show at seven 30. But it, this is the total dream. Never in my wildest dreams did I think I'd be at 27, no less getting the opportunity to rehearse all day, do my own show uptown at night. I mean, it was so exciting and, and I've had a taste and I'm, I'm hoping that this is uh, only the beginning. <laughs> That's so wonderful. Yeah. To be, to be working on your craft during the day of course, and then, and then, um, executing that at night it sounds so technical and it's i know it's all part of this you know the stew of learning all yeah. of it yeah. i agree yeah. though i mean i think it, it may sound technical but that's for me you know where i'm at yeah. is that i am training and i am working on the craft component of performance and it has been so uh it's been a great exercise to have my own show and get to apply that training to real world <laughs> events, real world application. And yeah, I, I just, I, I can get in my head a little bit as a student still thinking about all the things we're working at at school. But then when I went out with that show, it just was, it was helping me actually float so much easier through the process. And it did instill me with confidence and, and there's still so much I have to learn and want to learn. I mean, at this point, I'm hoping this mindset of learning 
stays with me for the rest of my career. And that's what's been exciting too, is the show taught me so much. School is teaching me so much. And there's no reason that after I, I graduate in eight months that I will be that I will stop learning. That is going to be with me. And, and I'm so excited for me in 20 years to look back at me now or re-listen to this interview and say, oh, how young I was and what I thought I knew because you only gain experience with, with life. Well, and I love that you're already taking all this agency you know, over your career, over your life, not just sitting back and letting people auditioning and of course there's that piece and auditioning and getting jobs but actually co-writing a show and you know, just on faith going to Edinburgh and putting it up and handing out flyers yeah and, you know I mean it's you know? so, it's advice that I think young artists get a lot which is that you shouldn't wait for opportunity you should create yeah. opportunity and I actually feel a little mixed about that because sometimes that can put even more pressure on a young artist to feel yeah. like well gosh everything seems so far away and now you're telling me it's my fault that it's far away you know <laughs> but on the other hand I do think there's something that as a young artist is incredibly empowering to remember that I do have the tools to create. And even if it's not going to Edinburgh and getting nice reviews, it can be, I just want to write something tonight and I don't need permission to write. I can just open my laptop or open my notebook and write. And that's actually how I fell into writing. And this whole process with Peter was another testament to that, which is, uh, as an actor, as you mentioned, you know, you have to wait oftentimes for permission to do your work. You have to get cast or you have to have a project that invites you in. And as a writer, or in many other disciplines too, but but that's where, where I found it most, you get to empower yourself and say, I have an idea, I'm going to write it. I have a voice, a story that wants to be heard, so I'm going to speak it. I'm going to share it. And when I, as an actor, am sometimes feeling like I've hit a wall or a ceiling, I can suddenly creep out the, <laughs> creep out the side door and, and get a taste of that because it reminds me of, it taps into that creative well that I have that I always want to keep in touch with. So how did you first connect with Peter? Peter and I actually met at the 24-hour plays, oh. which I think you're familiar with. Yeah, I saw that uh, you had yes. you talked with Mark Armstrong. Yes, yeah. and I actually wrote a 24-hour play. And did you? Oh, fantastic! <laughs> oh, yes. So the great, the great unicorn. Monologue. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. So they do this program, 24-hour plays nationals, where they take yes. theater makers under the age of 25, and this was in. 2019 so it was this was now the first or the last pre-pandemic summer <laughs> how terrible that i'm using that as a, a time marker hopefully i'll get rid of that but um yeah it was the summer of 2019 he was brought on in the directing cohort of five i was in the acting cohort of about 25 and we actually didn't really work together over the course of our workshops but we met on a social level and we sort of stayed loosely in touch and I think just being aware of each other, you know, we and mutual admiration and respect, of course, I would have, I was 
you know, eager to work with him. I really wanted to work with him. And like I said, I think he, he actually, I want to give him credit, took the chance on me, which was to say, I think you might be right for this. And, um, famously, (laughs) I guess he, he will tell the story as well, but, um, Unbeknownst to me, I was very eager in a way that surprised him, but then reassured him he had he had made the right choice because he pitched me a few ideas. He was like, maybe we can talk soon. I was like, great, tomorrow at noon. How does that sound? <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I was ready to go right away. So, <laughs> so. <laughs> Why do you think he, uh, he felt that you were the right person for this project? Well, I think some of it was professional experience. Uh, Again, I had done two solo shows. I had some improv background, but, you know, and I don't want to take words out of his mouth or be too self-aggrandizing, but I have been been witness to him answering a similar question. And he, he basically just described that the experience in 24 hour plays, the way that I was engaging with the other cohort members, as well as the audience at large, he said there was something that made people feel very safe and very seen, uh, which is a huge flattering compliment. It's beautiful. And it also became the bedrock of this whole show. I mean, the character that we built. So knowing that that was what he, w- he valued, I was able to also be aware of that and, and really uh, dig into that and that was so important for me the the show definitely only can operate if the audience feels safe and cared for so i definitely tried to continue to emulate that and um yeah as- and i can attest to that you know as an audience member of a eulogy for roman that not only did i feel seen and safe but i felt that you really listened in a very profound way because you come back Yes, you can share that. Yeah, my, what I call the magic yeah. trick. Yeah, there's a uh, a moment. Incredible. Yeah, where I at the end I actually list back everyone's names and and the moments that they've shared over the course of the show, and it's it actually you'll you'll maybe be interested to know wasn't in the original script. I didn't know that I was going to do that, but it's something that organically happened where I was as the host of this event, genuinely getting so connected and attached to the different people that I remember, I think this was in Scotland, it just started to happen where I would recount all that we had created. I would just, I was just so blown away by the, by the magic that we had all worked together to create. And I would recall that to the audience i'd say when you did this and you your name this and this and jessica and tony and ian and <laughs> and that became like the moment at the end where we were able to look at everything that we had done and appreciate the profundity of that and uh anyway then going to new york well, that was a sure fight we knew we wanted that in and i actually went even further to get as you could probably tell i get as many names during the show as i can and even if it's as small as you're gonna hand me a little note card or you have you know <laughs> and or you accidentally drop something and um and then yeah it's just so uh that is that is a real treat for me and a good challenge for me every time too to see how many people I can can hold in my brain. It's <laughs> yeah. extraordinary. I want to just go back to Connecticut for a moment. Yeah. So what 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 was the town 
that you grew up in. Yeah, I grew up the in theater. I grew up in Stamford, Connecticut, ah, uh, which okay. is only for those who don't know, it's only about an hour by train outside of New York. And there's a really robust theater scene out there because of its proximity to New York. And there's a good value on on the arts, I think, in Fairfield County at large. And there's this fantastic community theater called Curtain Call, which, as I said, was my second home. And uh, Lou Orson, the executive director there, has been there for my whole life and has just built something so... The, the caliber of work there, I wouldn't have known because I it was kind of the only theater I was aware of. So I've only grown up and seen the context that this is just totally next level community theater it, it re- sort of redefines what you'd expect from that i've seen productions there that uh yeah rival some of my favorite stuff i've seen and and they do a youth theater program every summer so that's where i was doing youth theater in the summer but then during the regular season in the year they need the munchkin or they need the orphan or they need uh-huh. you know the, the <laughs> yeah whoever it was running around in the background so i did a lot of that and um it was it was great so what led you there in the first place? That's actually a funny little story, too. It's not quite a lightning strike, but it is pretty funny. So when I was about six, six or seven, the story goes, I, we used to get catalogs in the mail, you know, like L.L. Bean or, or certainly around holiday time, you get those paper copies. And I guess this is what my mom says. My mom says that I was looking at the catalog and there were these child children for the for the kids clothes and I said how come these kids get to be in the magazine and she said because they have cute butts <laughs> and I said I have a cute butt <laughs> which I don't know that to us was really uh <laughs> the sort of nonsense conversation you have with a child um <laughs> but then suddenly I I for whatever reason, it sparked a real idea for me that I wanted to to be in this L.L. Bean magazine. Why not? And long story short, my parents, bless their hearts, they, they indulged the notion because I was a very determined child, and they uh, brought me in. I ended up doing some, like, print modeling oh. when I was, like, seven years old. That, that's where we're getting with this. Wow. It's just that okay. I just was taken, and I did a little bit of it. But the problem was I have two older siblings and my parents were, uh, I guess at this time I, my dad had stopped working, but my parents are together. Uh, but anyway, the, it was too much of a commitment. And they said, look, we cannot keep driving you into New York City for modeling. What We, we did not know what we were getting ourselves into. But uh, what we can do is sign you up for theater at the theater that's uh, next door to our house. So if you're so desperate to be seen, go enjoy that. And uh, they, I think even at the time, they were like, and then in high school, you can you can let us know. Well, the rest was just uh, great. Once I, once I got into the theater, that was the rest. Um, Sorry, a bit of an unusual story, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> that they found the redirect. Yes, that yes, was yes. really great. That was transforming. Are there? Did you want to mention other lightning strikes moments? Do you say oh, you yeah. had another I mean, one? The only, the other one that really comes to mind is, you know, for me, acting was a hobby, and it was not something that I was even though I may have wanted to make it something more or take it more seriously, the my dad was an accountant. He was very 
practical, pragmatic. And if you do the numbers on, on becoming an actor, they're not the best numbers. <laughs> so I think he always felt, uh, along with many mentors, felt, you know, you're, you, you have a love for this, you're great at this, but, you know, be careful. Be careful because there's so many other things you can do, and if you choose to do this, it may be a really hard path, and, and there's no guarantee on the other side. So the other lightning strike for me was actually when I was in high school, I was in a production of Pippin, and I was Pippin and Pippin at a, another theater that I loved called Actors Conservatory Theater. It was based in Yonkers at the time. I was doing a youth production of Pippin, and this show completely opened my world. It still remains like my favorite musical. I just, I think the world of it. And... I, you know, I was a junior in high school and I was excavating the real meaning behind the text and I was, my synapses were firing in all new ways that I had never experienced. So the lightning was charging, but then it struck when I actually got to see Diane Paulus's Pippin <gasps> that year, I think it was, it was uh, the revivals on Broadway. And yes. I sat in my chair at that <sighs> production crying just crying from the sheer brilliance of it. I mean, I was crying before anything emotional had happened. I mean, I was just blown away with the way that the um, heightened theatricality and circus performance and movement uh, and dance and singing, and it just was layer after layer after layer, and it all enhanced the story that was actually being told. You know, it wasn't just spectacle yeah. for that sake. It was really, to me, and, the, you know, I already had this attachment to the show, and I had really strong principles of what it was about and what it needed to say, and it leaped past my already very high bar, and I was, I remember taking the train home afterwards like I couldn't speak. I went with a friend and she she thought I was entering a depressive state <laughs> because I was just so moved. And I wrote, I went home and I wrote a letter to myself that I wish I had here. I, I do know it's still at my parents' house under safekeeping. But I wrote a letter to myself that basically stated from me to me, if you can ever make anyone feel a fraction of what you have felt today, you have lived a life worth living and you are on the right path and it, that was that was a big lightning strike for me i just for the first time really got serious you know what i know the odds aren't in my favor i know the numbers aren't great there's a bazillion actors and only you know two parts sometimes they can feel like but um actually you know the the only way i won't get a chance to do this is if i don't try um, and ever since, I've also learned that, you know what, those numbers are a little misleading because there is, uh, at least right now, I have uh, grown into a much more abundance mindset. And I think that there is space for all of us. It's, there's space for all the stories to be told. And I think that that framework was really just, understandably, it was a protective framework that I had grew up around. But um, I have learned a little bit beyond that I think it's a bit of a false notion and there's uh, there's room for all of us. I love that mindset. And 
What's next for a eulogy for Roman? That's a great question. Uh, we will see where the eulogy presents next. I really would love to license the play, actually, because we, we were approached by, uh, actually, as soon as in Scotland a year ago, we had some high schoolers come to see it. And one of the high schoolers was like, I want to do this for my senior project or my high school. And I hadn't even thought of that. I was so complimented. And I thought, yeah, rock on. You're like, let's, that is so ambitious, but so exciting. And if I could be there to see it, I would go attend. Because one thing I haven't done with shows, I haven't gotten to be in the audience, which I want to do. So uh, anyway, I think I have some aspirations around that, though that's a work in progress. And as far as my journey with the show, I'm definitely open to still doing it. I think this was a really fulfilling run, but there's always room for more adaptation, more people to share this with, more places for it to go. So we're open-minded. We, I will say I'm not making any promises. I, I don't think this is inappropriate to share. Maybe Peter will kick me later, but we, uh, <laughs> we had like a nudge from somebody in Japan who owns a theater company and, and maybe would be interested, you know, so that's, that's the sort of thing that luckily this show may be able to handle because it's pretty low, it's pretty low overhead with yes. being a solo show and the, the tech, as you saw, is more of an urn on the table. It's really the, the heart of the story that, that brings the production. So um, you know, if we went to a new location, we'd have to adapt a few textual things. But other than that, the show's ready to roll. And I will be, I have a, I have a suspicion that this is not the last of Eulogy for Rome. Oh, I hope it's not the last. I hope many more people get to experience it and be a part of it. Thank you. Thank you. Well, Brendan, it's such a treat to have you on the show. So much congratulations and have a wonderful day. Of Thank course. You. Thank you so much, Cheryl. This was a pleasure. The theme song was written by Tom McGovern. This episode was edited by Sarah Goodman and produced by Anna Strout. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.